So today I want you to have hope and encouragement when you leave here as a dad. I'm not just speaking to dads today. I'm going to speak to all of us in the room because I want all of us to have hope and courage when we leave today. But I thought we'd start out with um, the top seven things that dads say and we pass on to the next generation. The first one we learned to say is go ask your mother. The second one is go ask your mother. The third one, no, not really. The second one is don't worry, it's only blood. I'm sure you said as a dad. The third one, I've always said to my kids, it will feel better when it quits hurting. It's always true. Fourth one is, do I look like I'm made of money? Or do you think money grows on trees? One of those variations. The fifth one I've learned as I've gotten older, I'm not sleeping, I was watching that TV show. And no, I wasn't snoring either. Um, sixth one we learn is, I'm not just talking to hear my voice. And my kids are like, well, nobody else is hearing your voice. And then the seventh one is, a little dirt never hurt anyone. Just wipe it off. And then three, we all pass down about driving. We're not lost. We say, we're not there yet. No, we're not. And then finally, we say, don't make me stop this car. Now, we know our kids learned we're never going to stop the car. But somehow that one still works, so we pass it on. It's hard being a dad. There's no dad that wants to be a bad dad. Nobody starts out and says, you know, I think I'm going to be the worst father ever. We all want to be a good father. We want our kids to rise up and call us blessed. We do. Here's a story I heard about a mother who was out walking with her four-year-old daughter. The child picked up something off the ground and started to put it in her mouth. And her mother says, don't do that. Why not, the little girl asked. Says, because it's on the ground, said her mother. You don't know where it's been. It's dirty and it's probably loaded with germs that can make you sick. Story says the little child looked at her mother and said, Mother, you are so smart. How do you know all these things? She said, oh, all moms knows this stuff. It's on the mom's test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mom. The little girl kind of got silent and pondered and said, oh, then you become the daddy. <laughs> Sorry, dad. That's what it is. Welcome to Father's Day. Someone has said Father's Day is a lot like Mother's Day, except the gifts are cheaper and they use your credit card. But I know there are great dads here in our congregation today, and I appreciate you being faithful. Another story I read recently about a woman who wrote to a magazine, she said this. She said one day she left her three-year-old daughter and her five-year-old son with her husband to watch them while she went out shopping. Says someone had given the little daughter a tea set as a birthday gift, and it was one of her favorite toys. Her dad was in the living room, engrossed in his phone, as some dads do, or engrossed in the paper. And a little girl kept making daddy a little cup of tea. So dad would drink it dutifully and give it back to her and say, mm, that's so good, make me some more tea. And so the girl would bring him back some more. Finally, the mother got home and the dad said, watch this, this is the cutest thing. He said, honey, go get daddy some tea. And so the little daughter goes, brings daddy some tea and daddy drinks it and mom says, now you know the only place she can get water is out of the toilet. <laughs> and daddy said, oh, yuck, it's hard being a dad. I've always wanted to be a dad. Let me give you a little bit of my story. When I was eight years old, both of my parents were killed in a car accident, and I was orphaned. This is my family. So at eight, I began to hate Father's Day. And for the next 21 years, I despised every Father's event there was. Father's Day, bring your dad to the football program, bring your dad to here, bring your mom to here. I hated all those days. 
But that all changed when I was 29 and had my own sons. 29 and 31, I began to love Father's Day again. I began to look forward to it. I always wanted a family. So God blessed me with this family. My two sons, Josh and Jonathan. And then my daughter-in-law joined us a couple of decades later, Katie. And then my granddaughter. That completed my fatherhood. My little granddaughter, Audrey, was born two years ago. There she is, little sweetheart. And now my cup is full. I couldn't have asked for any more than to be a father, except God blessed me another time. He allowed me, us as a church, to adopt 54 kids in Haiti to round out my experience as a father. So not only did I get to have my own children, my children's children, but we as a church have 54 kids in Haiti that I personally feel responsible for. Church family is about being fathers. It's about being faithful fathers. All of us want to be good dads. Everyone wants to have their kids, as I said, rise up and say, you're a great dad. So today we're going to look at one verse on how to be a good dad. It's pretty simple. It's Colossians 3.21. It's our memory verse for this week. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Let's all stand real quick, give you a chance to stand up. It's a real easy memory verse, Dad. You can get this one pretty easy. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Let's say it one more time. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Colossians 3.21. While you're standing, stretch out a minute and then you can be seated. That's because I know dads have learned how to sit there and sleep and then say, I wasn't sleeping, I was watching that show. Um, Our text is pretty straightforward this morning. Pretty simple, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. This verse has three easy parts. It's a simple message for us dads. Because dads, they say, can only focus on about three things at a time. It's a little hint for you wives out there. If you want your husband to do something, don't give him over three things. At about thing number three, we shut down. And we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get all that stuff. But if you give us one thing, you can keep reminding us and we'll remember that. So today you've got three things. First one is that fathers. That's pretty easy. We don't even have to say much about that one. The second here of this part of this verse is do not embitter your children. And the third part is the purpose why we don't want to embitter our children is because they will become discouraged. So today we're going to look at those three parts. Before we get into that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us, your goodness to us. Thank you for this church. Thank you that you have made fathers for a unique role in their family. I thank you for the fathers that are here today. I would ask you to bless them. God, give them a vision of how you see them as you see Christ. Give them a vision for how you see them and you're their greatest fan. Thank you, God, for fathers. Thank you that you're our perfect example and our perfect father. I pray over these words right now, God, if there's anything that's said today that is not of you, just take it away. But Father, if there's anything that's a seed, help it bloom to fruition and produce fruit. It's all about you, Jesus, for your glory and your honor. Amen. Okay, according to this verse, what is the goal of fatherhood? Raising children who are not discouraged. It's pretty simple according to this. Now, I know it's not the only goal of fatherhood, but it's a big one here at the end of Colossians. It says that God is telling us to not discourage our children. And so today we're going to also look at how do we attain this goal and not raise discouraged children. But first, let's talk about what is the fatherhood of God. 
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to call God Father. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He also taught that God's not everyone's Father, that he's a personal, he's not just a symbol. In John 8, 42, he said to those who refused to follow him, If God were your Father, you would love me. Jesus says, For I proceeded and came forth from God. You are of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. You already know evil and confusion in this world is orchestrated by Satan and all of his demonic realm. So if God is not your father, then Satan is. It's pretty simple. You're either of the light or you're of the dark. You're either under grace or under wrath. And if you're under grace, God is your father. Whether you realize it or not, you either belong to God or you belong to Satan. You belong to the heavenly realm or the earthly realm. God is a personal loving father is why I share this this morning. I don't want you to think God is just some principle we learn about, the great big buddy in the sky. No, God is the father. He's that person that loves you. And the Bible simply says that he's the father to those who are led by the spirit of his son. In Romans 8, 9, 14, 15, it's pretty simple. Paul says, anyone who does not have the spirit does not belong to him. All who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Scripture says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship, of daughtership. We cry out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have a privilege of having God as our Father. But it's only those who John 1.13 says are born of God. John 1.12 says who receive Christ. And Romans 8.14 says are led by the Spirit. Why do I even talk about this? Because I want you to realize today that you are God's child and he's your father. The privilege of prayer is one of those promises that God gives us is that inheritance of being sons. He walks all things to our good is a part of that. I want you to know for sure this morning that God is your father and he watches over you. I once heard about a woman tell her struggle of being an unwanted child. Her mother was a prostitute, and she was the accidental byproduct of her mother's occupation. Although her last pilgrimage had brought her to faith in Christ, she had ble- God had also blessed her with a Christian husband and beautiful children. God had given her a life of love and stability, but yet she was still obsessed with the need to know, who is my father? It was affecting her marriage, her family, and her life. So she goes on to tell the story that she was standing in her kitchen one day, just tears streaming from her eyes, dropping in the dishwater and thinking, oh God, who is my father? And she says, it's clear someone was behind her. She heard the voice, I am your father. She said, it's so clear. She looked behind her to see who was there. And again, she heard, I am your father. I've always been your father. She finally came to know what Paul talks about in this verse, that it was no accident of her conception, but it was the eternal purpose of a loving God who had spoken her forth into being before the very foundation of the world and had adopted her as his own was his plan. She finally knew who God was. That's what it means to have God as your father. He knows your name. He knows you deeply. He knows everything about you and he loves you. He's your greatest fan. So let's begin this morning with our invitation instead of anyone's invitation to make God our father. If you don't know God right now as your father, it's simple. The Bible says that all you have to do is to believe in Jesus as your savior 
and yield, commit your life to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus as the leader of your life. You can do that simply through a prayer right now. Just say, God, I want you to be my father. I commit my life to you. I believe all that Jesus did for me is what it takes to reconcile to me, to you. That's my story. That's my testimony. God is my father. That was the true blessing of being an orphan was I truly believe that the God is the father of the fatherless and is my father. I've never doubted that. It's just something I've always believed. And so that is my story. There are two reasons I begin this message this way today about the fatherhood of God. One is that I believe all human fatherhood should be patterned after God's divine fatherhood. The overarching plan for every father should be to live in such a way that you find your strength in God. That you find your model as a father in God's fatherhood. That we have that perfect blend of a heavenly father and his strength and tenderness just like we should be. That we have that balance in wrath and mercy and in surpassing wisdom that we have in our patient guidance as fathers. The task of every human father is to be for his children an image of the Father in heaven. The other reason I begin with the fatherhood of God this morning is I want this message to be relevant to everyone in here. Not everyone in here is a father. So whether you're a father or not, I want you to know that even though you may have a sadness like I did in my early days about your father on earth, or a sadness that you've not been the father that God wanted you to be, it can all be swallowed up and forgiven and start over. And you can have joy this morning because God offers his fatherhood to each one of us and offers his model to us for us to be that perfect father as he is. So there's two ways to listen to this message this morning. One is to take it as a straightforward message from the word of God to fathers on how to rear their children. The other is to take it as a teaching point so that you too know who God is as a father to you. He loves you because of his son. He sees you as he sees Jesus. I know I talk about that often, but I want you to understand that God sees you as holy and perfect right now. God can see from the beginning to the end, and he sees you that way. He sees you as complete in Christ. We don't see ourselves that way, but God sees us that way, and he's trying to work us towards that. So our verse of memory this morning that we're about to dig into is, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Let's give a quick background to this verse in chapter 3. Paul is telling us how to live as Christians in chapter 3 of Colossians. He's given us lots of information on how now do we live as fathers, as mothers, as children, as church members, as singles, as students, as children. He gives that information to all of us. And we'll look at it briefly. Verse 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, then set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated now at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Talking about we have died with Christ, and we are raised to walk with Christ. Verse 12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, you are holy and dearly loved. So, because of this, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're not jumping into these, but boy, those are five things as a father we need to have for our kids. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body 
you were called to peace, and above all, be thankful. So this is kind of the setup where now he goes into specific information for families. Talks about fathers, about mothers, and about children, and then wraps it up with 321 where he says, Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. So let's look at that last phrase in Colossians 321. Or they will become discouraged. If one of the goals of father, as I believe, is to rear children not discouraged, so what is it that causes a child to be discouraged? What does that look like? Well, that child looks like he's losing heart. He's listless, spiritless, disinterested. He's moody. He's sullen. Kind of a blank, who cares resignation toward life. Now, before you indict all your kids and say, hey, all my kids are there occasionally. I'll help you out. Students, all of us there occasionally. All of us have those times when we have that who cares type man resignation in life. So don't be the kind of father who rears these kind of kids. Instead, develop a style of fatherhood that produces a child that's opposite of discouragement. So what's the opposite of discouragement? I'm going to list two things today because we don't have a whole lot of time. One is that a child is hopeful. He has hope. The second thing that's opposite of discouragement is that he is confident, she is confident, and they're courageous. So those two things I want us to look at, look at how if we don't embitter our children, what will they look like? They will have hope. They will be confident and courageous. That's the kind of father we want to be that gives this to our children. Now, I know every parent knows we don't want to raise children that are discouraged. That's not our goal is to say, I want to raise discouraged children. But there are things we do that can make them discouraged. So let's look at Paul's teaching here about what that looks like. What does Paul mean when he says to give hope? Well, it's not hope in this world because we know that's fleeting. So he must be talking about something different. He must be talking about hope in God. Not hope in money or hope in popularity or in education or hope in sports or hope in a certain spouse or professional success. We all know that hope doesn't run hard. It runs soft. Those things can be good one day and bad the next day. But if you ask Jesus, what kind of freedom from discouragement do you want your children to have? He would not say, I want your children to be freed from discouragement by being filled with hope that they'll become wealthy. Or hope that they'll be well known. Or hope they'll be known intellectually. Or they'll have the right marriage partner. Or they'll be successful in their business. We know that's not what he means intuitively. It's the kind of hope that is in God. That's what gets kids to be not discouraged. What does a kid become confident and courage in? Same thing. It's when they believe in God and what he does for them. It's a dramatic turn from what we would see in the world. The world says don't discourage your child, but instead build their self-esteem. Well, we know as adults that's hard to do. We know in our own life as adults at any age, self-confidence and self-esteem wanes. We try to buy the right clothes. We drive the right car. We do the right workouts. We eat the right food. We think all of that's going to build our confidence. How long does that usually last? Not long, right? You buy a new car, the first time you get the monthly payment is when it's like, ooh, that doesn't impress anybody. Nobody better know what that is. So it's not about this world self-confidence that we want to teach our kids, to encourage our kids. Most people are very unhappy with their inability to have their own self-esteem. Thousands of books are written on that. But there's one book that's written on how to give your kid real self-esteem, and that's in a God confidence. We don't look at building their self-esteem in the world because that's fleeting. 
We don't discourage our children when we build their self-esteem in God's world. One vivid illustration of how Paul's Heavenly Father was patiently working to root out his self-confidence, we see in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9. Here's a description. Paul writes, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Paul goes on to write, We felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely or be confident not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, the divine purpose of Paul's affliction. Now, mind you, Paul is 20 years into his Christian life at this point. So he's known Christ for 20 years. He's written a lot of the New Testament. And God's still trying to root out Paul's desire to be self-confident to the point of even death. Because God didn't want him to be self-confident. Not because he wanted him to be listless, spiritless, moody, sullen, fearful. No. It was God who came to Paul and said, Paul, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent, for I am with you. So the confidence that we are to build in our children is not self-confidence, but confidence in the grace and power of God. Confidence in God's word as the roadmap for their life. God says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. That's what we need to teach our kids. That builds courage into our children and doesn't discourage him. So if that's true, then a good father will ponder. He'll sit around and think about, how can I be like my own heavenly father? How can I ban any self-reliance from my own heart and the heart of my children? How can I fill them with confidence and courage and zeal in God? How can I make them bold and not in themselves? How can I be the kind of father whose children do not lose heart or become spiritless? And sullen. It's to fill them with hope in God, hope in God's word, courage and confidence in God and his calling. And when you do that, your kids will then attempt great things for God's glory because their confidence and hope is in him, not in the world. So the second part of this father is do not embitter your children. Let's look at that for a minute. Again, we notice that it's a negative command. Do not embitter your children, just like do not discourage them. It's something to be avoided. But there's also something here that um, is positive about that. Do not embitter means to help them find God. Help them not to um, be embittered. So if you were to look right above this verse, verse 20 is kind of the key to why Paul says this. In verse 20 he says, Children, obey your parents in everything that pleases the Lord, he says. This does. It gives parents a tremendous authority over their children because they're told to obey their parents. So Paul follows this up because he doesn't want fathers, parents, to abuse this authority he has given them, to misuse that authority that children are to obey them. He has in fathers that treat their children in such a way that they would break their spirit by forcing obedience and things that really don't matter. He says, do not embitter your children. Another version says, do not provoke your children. Another version says, do not antagonize them to the point where they're discouraged. Paul's teaching us that parents should avoid anything that ruins a child's confidence in God and leaves him hopeless or discouraged. This requires tremendous wisdom from fathers and mothers because not all short-term discouragements and frustrations are bad for your kid and discourages them. We saw that in Paul's life. 
it's obvious Paul had short-term discouragements and frustrations, but it was to drive him to God. So parents, when we make that discouragement or those short-term discouragements and frustrations to our kids, we need to make sure that they are to lead them to God, to do the right thing. We know that intuitively, that discipline shouldn't necessarily be punishment. It should be discipline to get them to do the right things that ultimately drive them to God. So let's ask the question, then what did parents do, fathers do, to embitter and provoke their children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness? I'll mention two things quickly. One, fathers, it's about you. It's failing to be the joyful and hopeful and confident father who believes in God. Fathers, what you are in relation to God is far more important than what you say to your kids. What they see matters far more than what they hear. We have the expression, I hear what you're saying, but what I see you doing is not what you're saying. So there's incongruency in that, Dad. Now, our kids never say it like that, but they're thinking that. You know, don't speed, and Dad drives 95 down the tollway. Um, that's an easy one to pick on because we all have a tendency to do that. Um, I'm sure not in that either. But what you are and what you do will more influence your children than what you say. So the most important work that a father can do for the sake of his children is ultimately to be a follower of Jesus and a follower of the Bible. The most important strategy for rearing your children is to become a new man in Christ whose hope and confidence are in God and not in ourselves. And then we pattern our fatherhood after God's fatherhood. We know it's true from Scripture. We're taught to imitate our Heavenly Father. We're told to be holy as He is holy in 1 Peter 1.16. We're told to be merciful as God is merciful in Luke 6.36. To be a good child is to copy your dad. It honors a father to be imitated. And we are commanded to honor our fathers. And so the most important question a father can ask is not what shall I teach my child, but what shall I model for my child? What can I live before my children that they will want to be like God? What they see in you is what they will do. This is the first thing that fathers can do to provoke and embitter their children to long-term discouragement is if they teach something different than they are. The second thing that fathers do which provoke children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness is to change the rules. And the discipline is impulsive and erratic and is inconsistent. Unpredictable, impulsive, hostile discipline makes children fearful, makes them bitter, deceitful, and discouraged. They often don't know where or why the next explosion will come. They say to themselves, what's the use? It doesn't really matter whether I do something good or bad. Dad just reacts the same way. So the spirit of hope is broken, and in its place, your children will become calculated, deceitful, discouraged, and their behavior will be maneuvering to get by with things because they don't know what the rules are. On the other hand, if we don't want to discourage our ch children and embitter them towards us, then our discipline needs to be controlled and appropriate. It needs to be consistent based on clear rules and principles of justice in the home that children know. It's got to be an atmosphere that's created where the children will prosper because they know the rules. I often talk about this, my wife and I talk about this all the time in marriages and with children. It's not fair to attack your spouse or your children or your employees, for that matter, if they don't know the rules. 
Now, once the rules are established and everybody understands the rules, then discipline can happen. But we often make up rules as we go along and we punish and discipline and discourage our children, our spouses, our employees, because we're changing those rules as we go along. So that's a, a way that we discourage our children, our spouses, our employees, if we enforce rules that they don't aware of yet. Now, once they're aware of the rules and we all agree to them, that's when you have a home where justice is there, order is there, and mercy can reign. And the children that are raised in that kind of atmosphere are encouraged. They love that kind of atmosphere. So fathers, don't provoke your children by being inconsistent in your discipline. Moms, don't provoke your children. Employers, don't provoke your employees by being inconsistent in your rules and your discipline. Instead, be like your father in heaven so that your children can know him and become hopeful and confidently courageous in him. So this morning, as we kind of bring this to a close, I want to challenge you as fathers, mothers, um, as my fellow church members, take your responsibility to be like God seriously, to imitate God. You've got to do that first by finding out what God says, what God does, and then you can imitate that for your children. Be the kind of man, fathers, who gives hope, confidence, and courage to your children. Pour courage into them, encouraging them, instead of discouraging them. You do that through consistency. You do that through the way God works, through praise. You have discipline. God disciplines us, as we saw in Paul's life, even to Paul, the point of death. But God had a purpose in that, was to grow Paul up to be more confident in God. Children are longing for fathers, mothers, who are images of God the Father. Children want that. Children prosper in that kind of atmosphere. Now, I know... Many of us haven't been that kind of father. And we wish we could start over and be a different father. Wisdom comes with age. I would often tell my sons this as they were growing up as teenagers. I'd be like, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Just get with the program. I don't know what it is because you don't know it when you're in that part. You learn how to raise preschoolers and then all of a sudden they become elementary age kids. You learn how to raise elementary age kids and all of a sudden they're in high school. They're teenagers. It reminds me of a, a book that was written or a guy that wanted to write a book, when he had no kids, the title of his book was The Definitive Way to Raise Children. When he got two little preschoolers, the book was Here's How You Raise Kids. When they became elementary age, it said Suggestions for Raising Children. And finally, when his kids became teenagers, his title of his book changed to Does Anybody Have Any Ideas How to Raise Kids? So that's the way we are. We're learning as we go along, and God knows that. God's teaching us. God's forgiving us. You're all good fathers. You're good mothers. You, you just, we just have to imitate what God does and we'll be better. Let me wrap it up this morning with three questions. Because what we commit to ultimately is what we become. So Pastor Mark, who I love dearly, has brought in this kind of new thought process in our messages. That what are three things that people can go and do and they will be able to apply what we taught that morning? So my three questions this morning is, number one, what will you commit to do to experience God as your father? That's so important. You've got to know God loves you. And so make one commitment this morning. Maybe it's read the book of John and believe what you read. God loves you. He wants to be your father. He wants to teach you to be the perfect father. Number two, who will you call this afternoon or have a conversation with to pour hope and courage into 
Maybe it's your college-age son or daughter. Maybe it's your grown son or daughter. Maybe it's your elementary-age kid. Who will you have a conversation with today to make that relationship better? Maybe it's your dad. Maybe you need to call him and say, you know, Dad, you were a good dad. You did the best you could with what you had at the time, and thank you for allowing me to live past my teenage years. Maybe that's what you need to say. But what conversation will you have this afternoon to pour hope and courage into someone? And then finally, the third thing, what is one thing you'll stop doing and or one thing you'll start doing to develop hope and courage in all your relationships with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, with your coworkers? What is one thing you'll stop doing and one thing you'll start doing to develop hope and courage in your relationships? Let me end this morning where I began so I leave you encouraged. The last thing I want to do is discourage you this morning. Being a dad is hard. I'll guarantee you, your kids are smart and they figure out exactly what buttons you have to push and boy, they will push them at just the wrong time. For them, the right time, every time. I know, I was was a dad, I am a dad and I'm still learning what it is to be a dad. And so, first thing, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be discouraged. All of us fail. Um, I'm about to give you a list of our Bible heroes this morning to encourage you of who our dad Abba Father is God. The story of the prodigal son reveals how God the Father is and who he is. It is a story about falling and failure, if not for the faithfulness of his father. This story is really not so much about a fallen son, but the prodigal son is about a faithful father who is God our Father. The Bible depicts God as the faithful father of man, of Israel, and of the church, which means you and me. He's our faithful father. He was there at the fall of Adam and Eve, but instead of dismissing and destroying mankind, God clothed them with mercy and offered them a second chance. We find King David committing adultery and killing the husband of Bathsheba, yet God forgave him, grew him up, and called him a man after his own heart. Jonah was a prodigal prophet that tried to run from the calling of God, yet the Lord spared his life and gave him a second chance. Elijah wanted to quit and asked the Lord to take his life, Yet God used him to do mighty things. In the New Testament, we see Peter is a man of many blunders and flaws. Yet the Lord patiently waited on him to mature and used him in great ways. And finally, the Apostle Paul, the author of our text this morning, was a persecutor of the church, a hater of Jesus. He injured many and placed others in prison. Yet the Lord changed him and he wrote half of the Old Testament. God's a God of second chances. God's a God of faithful love. He loves you. I could write your story here about how faithful God is to you. God's always been my father. That's been my testimony of life. He has been so good to me. He's been so kind to me. He's given me an abundant life that I could never have hoped or imagined. Started out with my wife in college. What a great woman he gave me. Man, I didn't deserve her, but God gave me her. The children I have, they have just been precious They cause problems. Kids cause problems. It's iron sharpens iron. Our kids sharpen us. But they're such a blessing. He rounded it out with a granddaughter, a beautiful daughter-in-law. I call her my daughter-in-love because I just love her dearly. God is good. God writes your story. Your story is good. He's faithful to us. He loves us. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of ultimate love and concern for you. So matter your past failures, fathers, mothers, my church family, 
guest in Jesus. Lamentations 3.22 and 23 says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Never fail. God's compassionate. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us and for fathers who are trying their best to be faithful. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank you for your love, your mercy, your compassion, your second chances that you give us. Thank you, God, for salvation and reconciliation, us to you through Jesus Christ. God, I pray that anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as God their Father, that you would call them that undeniable call and draw them to you this morning. I pray for fathers in here and mothers who are doing their best to parent. God, that they would see that you love them and are teaching them. You're molding them as well as teaching them. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for our new pastor, Mark. Thank you, God, for leading us, leaving a legacy through George. It's all about you, God. We want to be the church, the people, the fathers, the mothers, the church members you called us to be. And so thank you, God, for being faithful to make us that person. It's all about you, Jesus. So it's ultimately for your glory and your honor and your praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again, church. Thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. I appreciate it. I love you as a church. God loves you. God has great things planned for you individually, for your family, for your circle of influence, and for this church. I'm so excited about our future here. God's got great things for Live Point Church in the future. So thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for praying for your staff. Thank you for loving us. And thank you as a church family for all you do for our 54 kids that are in Haiti. It's making a difference for all of eternity. Thank you.